Hi, everyone. Welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices, plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance, HR works. We often look to sports teams for examples of engagement and passion and motivation, and we use sports metaphors to talk about it. Everyone wants to hit a home run, they don't want to be down for the count, and they might have to put on a full court press. Today's guest, Dr. Amber Selking, has worked with sports professionals on building championship mindsets, and she's translated what she learned into the business context. From the locker room to the boardroom, Amber's Selking Performance Group provides keynote speaking, training facilitation, and team or business consulting. Clients have worked with her to help clarify vision and goals, to drive team alignment, and ultimately to achieve performance excellence in a holistic manner. Amber, welcome to HR Works. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. So let's uh, begin with this concept of a championship mindset. First, I guess, what's a mindset? And then uh, how is a champion's mindset different from the average person's? Absolutely. Well, a mindset is, is actually a patterned way of thinking about anything, right? And so we have mindsets about everything in life. I mean, you have a mindset about or a patterned way of thinking about what it means to be from where you came from, right? You have a mindset about the weather in your area. You have a mindset about what it means to fail. And so what is your patterned way of thinking about failure or what's your patterned way of thinking about success? And so, again, these mindsets are built through repetition of thought. So every time we have a thought and it gets repeated, it actually builds brain matter in our brain. And so these repeated thoughts build these mindsets. And it's the mindset that determines how we interact and intersect with that situation on a consistent basis. So when we look at building championship mindsets, we're trying to build mindsets that are positive, that are powerful, that are productive, that allow people to intersect situations on a consistent basis that position them to be successful. And so how does a champion's mindset differ from an average person's mindset? Well, first of all, a champion's mindset is, is confident and optimistic. And this isn't an optimism that's, that's sort of fluffy and floaty, right? It's an optimism that's grounded in a belief that they will, in fact, find a way to solve or dominate or win whatever situation they encounter, even if it initially starts with a failure. So Eric Parsegian, a legendary football coach at the University of Notre Dame, always said about his teams, we have no breaking point. So that phrase, we have no breaking point, became a mindset or a patterned way of thinking for his young men on the football team. And so that allowed them to, even when they encountered adversity or setbacks, to continue to fight, to continue to try to find a way. The other element of this championship mindset is that, that champions use past experiences to understand how they are at their best. And so they develop a process for success that they can then trust as they go throughout life. So um, one of my former colleagues and football coaches that I worked with down at IMG Academy 
uh, played for the Indianapolis Colts. And so he told a story. He was a wide receiver, and so he played with Peyton Manning. And he said that one week Peyton went out and threw four interceptions. Right? Now, that is not a good day on the football field for Peyton Manning. <laughs> and so he said, you know, Peyton walks off the, off the field that day, and obviously he's frustrated because he's a competitor. But he doesn't walk off and think, wow, I suck, right? Because he's Peyton Manning. But what he did was he went back to his process that he knew worked for him, analyzed what part of the process did not go as planned, made some adjustments, the following week came out and set a record for yards passed. And so a champion's mindset, again, is not one that gets down in the dumps when things go wrong, but rather is so confident in the process that they have built for success that allows them to go back and very strategically analyze where do differences lie that they can make tweaks and adjustments to, again, come out and be successful the following rep. And finally, I think another aspect of this championship mindset is about being gritty, right? Angela Duckworth is out of the University of Pennsylvania, and she's done a lot of great research on this topic of grit. And so grit is one's ability to sustain effort over time despite pain or adversity. And I think that that's a, that's a critical element of this sort of championship mindset. Listen, it's not going to be easy. Life isn't easy. Business isn't easy. Sport isn't easy. But if we can accept that on the forefront and go into those experiences with, the, with a confident and optimistic mindset because we've built a solid process and we choose to endure pain or endure setbacks or endure a changing uh, business environment and all the ambiguity and, and the competitiveness that exists in business and in sport, we can be gritty in those moments and, and continue to develop our process and hone that process and apply that process to be more consistent and, and position ourselves to be successful. Well, this is great. I just want to go back to one thing talking about positive and mindsets and confidence, you said there's an actual physical change in the brain when you, people have these positive thoughts. Could you explain that? Yes, absolutely. So every time we have a recurring thought, it is building protein patterns in our brain, basically. And these protein patterns, if we have positive, optimistic, hopeful thoughts, they actually show up as vibrant electrical activity in the brain. On the flip side of that, if we have recurring negative, pessimistic, fearful, anxious thoughts, those two build protein patterns in our brain, but those mindsets or those patterned ways of thinking actually show up as almost like gray matter, gray holes basically in our brain that, that shows more like dead neuroactivity. And so it mitigates the brain's ability to problem solve, to be creative, et cetera. So when we talk about developing a positive mindset, you know, again, it's not that I work predominantly in, in football, basketball, ice hockey, and in corporate, right? So these are not light, fluffy, everybody hold hands and sing kumbaya environment, um, nor would that fly with a football coach. But, but when they come to understand that building positive mindsets actually becomes a competitive advantage because when our brain is in a positive state, it thinks more clearly, it thinks more creatively, and it problem solves better. These are all critical aspects to being successful in sport, in business, and in life. And so how we think and the thoughts that we choose to think are building brain matter that is either going to position us to be successful or 
hinder our ability to take the steps forward towards our goals. Wow, this is really, uh, this is interesting. Now, when you start working with people, I understand that you uh, ask your clients to clarify their three main or core values and also what kind of legacy they want to leave. Why do you start out with that? So values are a critical part of motivation. And so a lot of people, unfortunately, one, don't know what their values are, or two, think that their values in life should be separate from how they maybe function or operate in the work or the sport environment. And so what we know from a scientific standpoint, however, is that individuals who operate more frequently out of their core values are happier or healthier, have better working relationships, um, have better mental and physical health and well-being. And so by clarifying those values, um, we, we, it allows people to operate out of a, a complete sense of self, which therefore can drive our motivation from an intrinsic and internal perspective. So clarifying and understanding what our values are allows us to ask ourselves, hey, are we acting and behaving in accordance to what is, what is most important to me as an individual. And again, that allows us to bring more of our full self to everything that we do, which increases our brain and our body's ability to engage in that and be more productive and be more fulfilled for the efforts that we're putting forth. And, and you know, I've worked, I've worked in a manufacturing environment. I served as an HR professional for a global manufacturing company and um, I worked in our corporate setting, and I worked in a manufacturing plant environment um, where we had individuals that, that worked on our lines since they graduated from high school. And, you know, people ask, well, that's great when you talk about it from the ivory tower, but how does that translate to, to my guys, you know, or my men and women that are on the shop floor? And, um, you know, I think that there's something called the VIA Character Strength Survey, and so you can actually go to VIA.org, and it's a free assessment that rank orders your top 24 character strengths. And so wherever we are and whatever we're doing in life, we can, we can find ways to leverage or uh, exercise these strengths in whatever environment we're in. So there are things like bravery. That would be an example of a character strength. And so we can get individuals to start thinking about wherever they are in, in their working lives and their personal lives, um, how can you start to exercise or use the, the bravery that is a very core part of who you are on a more consistent basis? Now all of a sudden that starts to shift how we look at our work, right, how we look at our roles. And, and again, it allows us to bring more of ourselves to those moments. And, you know, it, it also helps us understand that those, you know, those people that are operating out of their core values, they feel more connected with who they are and what they're doing. You know, there's, there's staggering statistics out there about, um, you know, the number of employees in America that, that feel a sense of disengagement when they're at work. And I would argue that a lot of that is because they're not bringing their full selves to their work environment, nor do they necessarily know who their real selves are. And so we start with identifying those values because it's a good opportunity for people to take a step back and really think about what is most important to me, right? And a value, the definition of value is your standards of behavior, right, or things that you, you value in life. And so, again, when we can identify those, we can start to see how do, we, how do we leverage those in every environment that we're in personally and professionally. And the legacy plaque, um, 
when I was a senior at the University of Notre Dame, I was taking a run around the lakes, and, you know, there's plaques all over Notre Dame in memory of different people. So I'm running around the lake, and I stopped to stretch my calf out on this tree, and there's, a, there's one of those plaques down at the bottom. So I reached down, and I brush it off, and I read it, and it said, in memory of John Yurko Jr., he taught the world what living was about through love of, defam- love of family, devotion to church and community, and true passion for life. His spirit was impenetrable and forever fighting Irish. And I just got this chill about me, and I, and I started thinking, like, wow, I, I hope that's said of me one day, that her spirit was impenetrable and forever fighting Irish. And it just got me thinking, like, imagine if we could get people to start thinking about what legacy do you want to leave? You know, for our freshmen at Notre Dame, you know, what legacy do you want to leave over the next four years? Or, or when client, or when new employees come into a business, you know, what legacy do you want to leave in this organization? And, you know, hypothetically speaking, if we were to put a plaque up of you when you leave, what would, what would you want that to say about you? And what this starts to do is, is put people looking um, from a future perspective, looking back on their present, right, which then allows them to get a grasp on, well, how do I need to be living and acting and working on a day-to-day basis if that is, in fact, the legacy that I want to leave in this place, in, in this business place, on this team, or in this life in general? And so, again, we have to then make choices on a day-to-day basis that align with leaving that type of legacy. And we also have to understand that, listen, you're going to leave a legacy, whether, whether you get to intentionally choose the legacy that you build and create or are you just going to let it unfold and, and happen by, by chance and perhaps leave a legacy that you're not necessarily proud of nor one that you think has much value from a, from a sustainability or long-term standpoint. So those, those are the reasons why I start there because, one, it helps us understand who we are more as an individual. And then that legacy helps us see, well, how do I bring who I am then on a day-to-day basis to fulfill what I think would be a powerful legacy or something, a, a legacy worth leaving? Okay, I can see how that lays a great base for uh, moving ahead. But if people want to develop this uh, championship mindset, I understand that you have uh, a set of eight building blocks that you use when you're coaching employers. Um, so could you briefly describe those eight building blocks? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, in general, right, in anything that we do, um, before we can be an expert at anything, we have to have some foundational skills. And whether that means leadership or whether that means having a championship mindset, there has to be some fundamentals in place. And so as I've worked with clients over the years, I started to see, you know, people want to want to work on building mental toughness, right? That's a, that's a classic one. And so maybe we start talking about that, but I realized that, wow, they still have some fundamental mental skills that even allow them to be mentally tough. And so they want to have a championship mindset, but they don't have some fundamentals in just how to think right. And so I developed this program called Building Your Mental Performance Foundation. And so this is eight building blocks that help individuals just understand and fundamentals about how the brain works and then gives them tools and strategies that they can build mindsets, right, and build some mental fundamentals that allow them 
um, to, to take those next steps on the individual and personal professional lives. And so those eight building blocks starts out with building block one, which is awareness, right? We, we have to be aware of what's going on within us and around us before we can start to enhance anything in our lives and in our work, which moves us to building block two is motivation and understanding why do we do what we do? What, what's driving us? What are our motivators? Uh, what inhibits or, or hinders our motivation and how can we blast through that, uh, which takes us to building block three confidence and looking at all of the different things that go into confidence. And so helping individuals flesh out uh, different areas in their lives and, and what they can do to help build a solid, bulletproof confidence uh, in everything that they're doing in their lives. Taking us to building block four, which is intensity management, understanding that they everybody has a, a different optimal zone of intensity where they can perform their absolute best. And so helping people identify more about what theirs looks like, how it changes in different scenarios, uh, which, again, helps them just be more adaptable and fluid in the workforce throughout various elements of our day. Taking us then to building block five, which is attentional control, and that's just looking at how attention works and how we need to be able to manage attention to manage distraction. And the reality of it is the enemy is not our competitors, right? The enemy is not... Um, the you know the ivory tower or, or the upper management uh, the the enemy is distraction and so if we can we can um, understand how attention works then we can understand how to manage distraction which allows us to be more consistent on a daily basis as we work towards our goals that then takes us to uh, building block six which is emotional management understanding just how emotions affect our brain and our body's ability to engage in situations and manage them more strategically and less emotionally. Taking us then to building block seven, which is mental rehearsal, understanding how visualization and the power of thought really affect and can amplify our ability to be effective and efficient in the midst of performance, whether that's a sales pitch or a board presentation or, or a big game. And then finally, ending with routines and understanding that elite people in every domain have routines, that they have their lives structured, that minimizes um, waste. You know, if we want to look at a lean perspective, routines are a very lean process that allows us to be much more efficient and effective throughout the daily course of our lives. So those are the eight building blocks that we walk through. And again, each one comes with tools and strategies that we can, we can use to help build those in individuals and teams and organizations. Well, I can see I'm going to have to uh, check myself out against these eight building blocks. Now, <laughs> if I were an HR manager um, and I wanted to start to take advantage of this, how, how would I get going to start working with my people? Yes, absolutely. Well, first I would, I would encourage you to check out our website. It's www.selkingperformance.com. And on there you will find access to some performance articles, that have been written just about, again, what optimizes performance. Um, there's also our podcast is also listed on there. The podcast is called Building Championship Mindset. <laughs> and season one actually goes through this Building Your Mental Performance Foundation in a relatively high-level uh, capacity. So that would be a great introduction. And then, you know, we do have some full-day training facilitations on, on this program and others. There's other programs that are also listed on our website that I would encourage you to check out. 
as well. And, and then email me. I mean, my, my email is amber at selfingperformance.com, and I'm happy to chat with you about, you know, your organization and, and what that looks like and some of the challenges that you face, the strengths that you have, and just figure out um, how we can and help you and your organization build that championship mindset that can help grow and sustainable results. Well, I can see this helping a lot of individuals and a lot of organizations. Now, it seems we're living in a time when everyone wants to quantify success. So what sort of measurements or metrics would you suggest for measuring the effectiveness of uh, somebody's effort to build a championship mindset? That's a great question, and, and quite honestly, that's one of the biggest challenges of the field in sports psychology in general. You know the reality of it is you can see your bicep getting bigger. You can see yourself losing weight. You can, you know, you can see yourself getting more efficient at reading contracts, let's say, um, but it's hard to necessarily quantify your brain's ability to focus and refocus more efficiently and effectively, right, or uh, your, quantify your confidence level, and so the, the metrics per se, from a numerical standpoint, um, are a challenge, but with, with a lot of new technology coming out, that's a huge push for a field from a neuro, neuroscience standpoint. Um, but the reality of it is everybody knows that there's an it factor, and, and we always want it, right, in our employees and, and in our athletes. And so, first of all, it takes a leader that understands that the mind is really an untapped element of our human resource management. And uh, just like, you know, we, we have, we, however, leadership is as well. You know, how do you quantify leadership? I think you have to identify the behaviors that you're looking to change. And when you start to see change in behavior, um, then you start to see how the mindset is getting to, getting to shift, right? And whether that's employee engagement statistics or whether that's your, your retention rates, or I guess the other side of that would be your turnover. <laughs> um, you know, the culture that you're creating. Do you have, you know, consistent behavior from your staff and employees in the, in the culture that you've created? Is that living and breathing in your environment? These are all ways that we can start to see from a behavioral and environmental standpoint that mindset and mindset training is beginning to have an effect on that. And so that's, that's a lot of reasons why at Selfing Performance we couple mindset and leadership training because we see that going hand in hand in um, having true effect and lasting effect. So as mindset begin to change at the individual level and at the team level, we need to ensure that leadership is, is able to continue taking the, the team or organization to the next level. So again, from a metric standpoint, that, that's tough to quantify from a numerical standpoint, but we really try to look at it more from a behavioral and from a cultural climate perspective that we can see things are starting to shift and that performance is beginning to be more consistent over time and that we deal with failure, we deal with setbacks, um, we deal with challenges and opportunities in a different way than, than we used to. Oh, that's very helpful. Now. I understand that you have a special interest in people who are transitioning. In fact, I think your dissertation dealt with NFL players who were retiring. So what did you learn from that that would apply to people in business who were uh, maybe retiring or switching careers? Absolutely. It was, it was a fascinating study. So, Steve, as you mentioned, my dissertation um, was on transitioning out of the NFL and trying to understand 
what is the biggest problem that these guys are trying to solve during this transition, and then how do they go about solving that problem? So we had a wide range of participants, which originally I thought might mean that their transition was different, but the reality of it was it was the same. So whether the guy, he was uh, African-American, white, or Caucasian, um, biracial, from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, played an SEC school, played for D3, played for one year, played for 12 years, won a Super Bowl, was an All-American, or was a one-and-done type player, um, it didn't matter. The thing that mattered was that they had, they had had this shared experience, and the biggest problem that they were trying to solve was how do I rediscover and redefine purpose in my life after after the NFL. And so as I began to share this, this research and some of the elements of the, the copy to other individuals, I had people come back to me and say, wow, you know, I, I'm, I'm going through a divorce and this really resonated with my transition that I'm going through or I'm, I'm retiring or I'm switching careers and this is resonating. And so the thing that resonates the most is that every time we have a transition, We've got to rediscover and redefine our purpose in, in that transition. So I'll give you three Ps that I think are applicable to anybody um, going through a transition of any kind. Purpose, people, and process. And so purpose, rediscover and redefine what is my purpose in this new role that I find myself. People, make sure you stay connected to people. And even more importantly, find people that can help encourage the, that purpose that you've identified and, and help you clarify that purpose even further. And then finally, process. Figure out a process that you need to engage in to stay engaged. And that's the, that's the biggest thing that um, came out of that study. That's the other big thing that came out of that study was that it was important that the men in that transition period were intentionally engaged in their process of transition. And so some it took five years. Some it took 10 years for them to get intentionally engaged in the process of transition. Others, however, were engaged in the process before their NFL career even ended. So they knew that was coming and got engaged in the process prior in terms of networking, exploring other careers, et cetera. And so it, be intentionally engaged in your process. And some of the things that go into that process are flushing out your self-identity, um, being committed to learning and growth, and then finally, um, being able to replicate what you've learned about how success works in your previous role and apply that to the new role, even if that's a retirement role, right? There's still purpose in that. And, and how do you apply the process of success to that? So, Amber, this is, uh, I think this is going to be helpful to people both as managers and as individuals. Is there anything that uh, you'd like to say to sum this all up? Any final recommendations? for companies that want to build championship mindsets? Yes, Steve, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today and to be sharing with HR professionals um, across the country and perhaps around the world. Um, you know, my heart is really in this sport, in the sport and in the business space because I think that we can do a lot of good in this world through sport and through business. And when we begin to really clarify what is our purpose, um, in sport and what is our purpose in business um, and then start to develop our people and develop our processes and our systems around that in a really intentional way 
I think that we can not only have huge contributions to our bottom line or to our win percentage, but also to how that bottom line translates beyond just our company and into the marketplace and into the homes and families of the individuals that are employees in our organizations. And so understanding that, you know, I think as HR managers, we, we just need to understand that, you know, people spend a lot of their time at work, and is their time at work helping them become and contribute to the world the very best of who they are, or is it creating a lot of stress and anxiety uh, in their world? And, and how can we create better working environments for individuals so that they can not only um, – you know, give more to their families and friends when they go home, but, but bring more to the goals and visions and missions that we have in our organization as well. So, you know, I just want to encourage everybody out there um, to continue building great cultures, uh, really powerful cultures that are intentional about success and, and expanding our definition of success from the bottom line to include um, people that are happy, healthy, motivated, really engaged in what they're doing and have a desire to come back the next day and do more of it. And if there's any way that I can be of support um, to you to you or to your team or organization, again, please please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm directly accessible at amber at selfingperformance.com and look forward to helping you and your team build championship mindsets. Amber, this is also great. Um, I really appreciate your joining us today, and uh, thanks for all these helpful insights. Absolutely, Steve. Thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing the great work that you guys continue to do and the value that you continue to add to organizations. Well, thank you. So, listeners, please let me know what HR work should cover next. sbruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works.